Chapter 17 Matt didn't talk much, but he smiled and whistled a lot, which I took as evidence of his cheerful nature. I watched as he checked engine oil and tire pressure, trying to organize the steps in my mind. And that's what I was doing when the colored pastor drove up and told me, Fill her up, son, driving clear to Georgia. There were only two gas stations in Birdsong. One was on the way into town and the other was on the way out, depending on which way you were headed. But regardless of your direction, my daddy's was the only one that served coloreds. Jake's had a colored bathroom and water fountain, and I'd once heard Daddy claim that Mrs. Masters, who now and then helps Mama at the house, had shown him something called the Negro Motorist Green Book, which lists places, including his, where colored people are welcome to eat or rest or get gasoline when they're traveling around. That was when I discovered that being colored and being Negro are the exact same thing. Once his tank was full, the pastor paid, said, thank you kindly, and sputtered off, his tailpipe smoking a little. I glanced at colored restroom sign and started to wonder about what Tink had claimed about all those things being gone someday, but my thinking was interrupted by a customer and then another after that. Busyness and thinking seemed to work against each other, with busyness usually winning. Much later, when I saw Merriweather, he was sitting outside beside the bicycle, legs stretched out and crossed in front of him, chomping on a sandwich. A brown paper bag rested beside him. Supper time, he commented. I studied the bicycle again. Not much when you compare it with your new Schwinn, is it? Bet you can't wait to ride it again, huh? Merriweather asked. Before I realized it, I'd opened my mouth. I already did, I confessed. So they took your you you off punishment. I shook my head. No, he chuckled. Oh, you snuck and did it. Was it fun? He asked. I hadn't even thought about it. I hesitated before I answered. Mostly, but not the same as the first time I wrote it. Guilt can do that, he said. Take the fun out of it. Quietness settled in around us, and then suddenly a lot of words spilled out of me. They put it in my room and forced me to look at it. All that did was tempt me until I finally gave in. If they'd made me keep it in the garage, it might have kept it out of my mind, and maybe I wouldn't have done it. Anyhow, I figure it's their fault for tempting me. Merriweather Hunter reached in his bag and pulled out an apple, took a huge bite and chewed. Finally, he swallowed and spoke. The way I see it, they put it there to teach you a lesson. That's what punishment's for. You being tempted was how the punishment made you feel. And if you hadn't surrendered, it likely would have made you a, a bit stronger. Resistant temptation builds strength. We fail when we give in to it. So I failed? Yes, my young friend, you failed. But what's important now is whether you fail again. He took another bite from his apple. I stared at him and was mulling it over when a car honked, forcing me to make a beeline to the pump. And that evening when I got home, I traced the bicycle's handlebars and counted. Nine days left. This was going to be hard, but I was determined not to fail again. Chapter 18 A person who hasn't taken this ride as many times as I have might call the sights along the way interesting. 
but the drive from Birdsong to Charleston during the summertime is usually the same. While Daddy drove, Mama hummed and sang along with the radio music. Now and then they'd talk to each other or me about this or that, but there really wasn't that much conversation. I imagine that if Patrick had come along like he was supposed to, we'd be yakking. But that morning, Doc Riley had said his mama was about ready to have the baby, and for that reason, Patrick had to stay close. So, for over an hour, I mostly daydreamed. But if sometime later a person had asked me about what, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell them. In that way, my daydreams are much the same as the dreams that happen along when I'm asleep, for the most part, forgotten. I knew we were close to the shore when the salty air smell hit me, followed by the sounds of seagulls. Soon the Atlantic Ocean came into view, and I gazed out into the horizon where the dark blue of the water and the lighter blue of the sky meet. Such a lovely breeze, Mama noted, a trifle cooler than in birdsong. Before long, we turned the corner to, uh, to Trad Street, where Cousin Polly and them lived. The American flag flapped from the pole holder on the front porch of their big three-story cream-colored house. The walkway was lined with blooming rose bushes, mostly red. <clears throat> I was just out of the car when the screen door of the house next to theirs opened and a girl about Tink's age stepped out. <clears throat> She was dressed in a white shirt and blue dungarees rolled up to her knees. Her long curly hair was the color of smack dab between red and brown. She was one of those people who stand out from the rest, a thing you have no choice but to notice first, a full moon and a sea of small stars on a clear sky. Mama and Daddy glanced her way too. Must be that friend of Tink's from New York City, Mama said. I searched through my memories for her name until I found it. Helene, like a cat burglar, Helene quickly, quietly stole my attention and my eyes were focused and remained glued on her as I followed Mama and Daddy up the path to Cousin Polly's. When I suddenly tripped on the uneven walkway and stumbled, I expected her to laugh like Emma probably would have, but Helene only smiled a smile that maybe because I didn't want to see it, or maybe because it really wasn't there. It contained no meanness. Stop gawking, Gabriel, Mama warned. Daddy turned to me and winked. Seems nice, I remarked. In a blink, she headed inside, and right after her door closed, the doorway to Cousin Polly's opened. What's buzzing, cousins, Tink said. Her Kodak camera swung from her neck. Mama nearly had one foot inside when Teddy, Annie Rita, and Cousin Polly crowded the doorway. Dang it and a half, y'all about to make us late to see your own brother, Cousin, Cousin Polly chastised my daddy, waving a finger, nearly touching his nose. And Earl's only got one day in Charleston before he's got to head back to the base. Ought to be ashamed, but I can see from the grin on your fa face that you ain't. At least I had the decency to make him a party. Daddy barked back. Saw him just last month, Polly. For a while there, he was in the hospital. I went to see him once a week. Plus, you offered to have the party, so you ain't got no right to have a hissy. Annie Rita piped up. You know how she is, Jake. Could start a fuss in an empty house. That's about enough, Mama, Teddy warned. Polly cut her eyes at Rita and yapped some more. 
Parade starts in 20 minutes. Lucky for us, it's just a few blocks over. Let's get cracking so we can get a good spot. Want to make sure Earl sees our lovely smiling faces in the crowd. Annie Rita cleared her throat and chuckled. Three color ladies dressed like maids stood inside and were about to close the door when Cousin Polly stepped, stopped in her tracks. Don't y'all gals eat none of that food, you hear? Yes, ma'am, Miss Polly, they replied. The door shut and together we strolled along. Your friend Helene, is she going to the parade, I asked Hank. Helene? I glanced at Helene's house as we passed by. She was outside a minute ago. At least I, I suppose it was her. Long, kind of curly hair? Yes, I nodded. <clears throat> if you had to describe her to someone, you'd say she's likely the prettiest girl she's, that you've ever saw. And if you had to describe her to someone, you'd say she's likeliest, the prettiest girl you ever saw. I nodded again. That's her. But no, sir, Bob, she's definitely not going. Claims parades are provincial, and she wouldn't dare be seen at one. Provincial? Unsophisticated, she explained. If it weren't for Cousin Earl, I'd be keeping my keister home, too. But she's coming for the party because she's dying to have her picture taken with a real, live, genuine American war hero. I can't wait for you to meet her. She's in the know about so many things. You're going to go absolutely bonkers over her. I turned to get another glimpse of Helene's house, and Tink noticed, or maybe you already have. Tink stared at me until I smiled, and the way a smile sometimes can gave me away. Tink nudged me with her shoulder. Right then, my eyes landed on my tennis shoes. They were old, but at least I was wearing my favorite blue button-down shirt. Some things definitely should make you feel ashamed. For instance, when you're heading to a parade for war heroes and you're about to see your favorite and only uncle who you haven't laid eyes on for a while, but before the parade begins, all you can think about is when it's going to end so you'll be in the same room with a girl who's way too old for you. One glimpse of Helene had pushed Uncle Earl into the back seat of my mind and something like that should have given me at least a small dose of shame, but it didn't. And I guess that was part of being 12. <clears throat> Hordes lined both sides of the streets, mostly waving miniature American flags, and ladies and girls were armed with open parasols and umbrellas. Straw and cowboy hats shielded other heads. It was hours before noon, but today's sun was already a scorching one. A man on stilts was dressed up like Uncle Sam, and kids danced around him while smaller children sat on men's shoulders to get a better look. Clowns with painted faces juggled balls and bowling pins, while others did cartwheels and acrobatic flips, a sort of circus without a big top. Plenty of patriots out today, Teddy remarked as he set up folding chair he had been lugging. Annie Rita plopped right into it and had just opened her umbrella when an orange and black butterfly landed on her arm. What a good omen, she proclaimed. Why, I asked. Well, legend has it, if a butterfly lands on you and you say a prayer, it flies clear to heaven with it to make sure it gets answered right away, she explained. All the way to heaven? That's a mighty long trip, Annie Rita, I said with a smile. <clears throat> A legend's just a myth, and myths are just mostly made up, Nana, Tink said, 
Nothing can fly clear to heaven, except maybe angels. Annie Rita gazed upward. I got nothing to say but amen. The parade began with about 20 girls dressed alike in sparkly red, white, and blue twirling silver batons. The leader signaled them to stop, and simultaneously they tossed the shining batons high in the sky. Then they swiveled around and caught them from behind their backs, except the smallest girl who missed hers and started to cry. A marching band was right on their heels, playing Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, their polished brass instruments in uniform buttons gleaming. Folks, including Mama, Annie, Rita, and even Tink and Teddy sang along to the music. Cousin Polly hummed and Daddy tapped his foot. Trumpets made a most agreeable sound, I thought. The first convertible in the motorcade held two uniformed men. One of them was my uncle, Lieutenant Earl Haverland. Uncle Earl removed his hat and waved to the crowd. Whistles, hoots, yelps, hollers came from everywhere. Hands clapped and voices cheered loudly, the noise nearly drowning out the band. I jumped up and down, waving both my hands to get his attention. And when our eyes finally met, my Uncle Earl, a true blue American war hero, stood and saluted. Tink snapped another picture. Can you get an extra print made of that photo you just took, I asked for her. One for me, so I can always remember. My cousin smiled and said, you betcha. Chapter 19 While we waited for the party to get started, Tink and I listened to music on the radio upstairs in her bedroom. The windows were wide open and a fan purred. While she danced around the way she likes to do with her eyes half-closed, singing and swirling with the music, I thumbed through her photos. I flipped through them. I noticed there were more than a few photos of Helene. In all of them, she looked beautiful. But in one, she was staring directly in the camera, smiling, with a look in her eyes that I couldn't figure out, something different. And then, as if I had no control over my actions, I slyly slipped that one into my back pocket. Instantly, my mind defended the thievery by reminding me that Tink always keeps her negatives. She could always have a copy made if she missed it and wanted another. Suddenly, she stopped dancing, and I wondered if she'd see me, but all she said was, Want to see my portfolio? I sighed, Sure. The only thing I know about photographs is that I like looking at some more than others. But as Tink held up one after another for me to see, I found myself wanting to keep staring at all of them for a while. <clears throat> Helene's daddy says I have a talent for it. You think he's right? I nodded in agreement. Then she held up a picture of a colored girl on a bicycle besides a white-only drinking fountain. I think this one's my best, she claimed. I studied it for what seemed like a long time. Did she drink from it, I asked. Of course not. Silently, I wondered if she'd been thirsty and tempted, and if feeling, and the feeling the sign gave her had a stink to it, or if maybe she was used to that bad smell by now. If she had drunk from it and somebody had seen her, do you think that it'd take a girl to jail? Probably not. Just get her mama and daddy after her. Likely get a loud chastising from them. Likely. Right then, my thoughts flipped to something else. You think the water tastes different in 
any, do you think the water tastes any different in the colored fountain? Tink looked me square in the face. It doesn't, she replied. How do you know? We drank from the colored fountain just last week, me and Helene. She did it first, so I did it too. Did anyone see you? One old lady, white or colored. White. Then what? <clears throat> she accused us of being 12 shades of crazy, but Helene just took another sip of water and told her, I am a citizen of the United States of America, which is supposed to mean white or colored. I am free to drink water from wherever I please. That made the woman start acting hainty. And she asked Helene where she was from. New York City, Helene told her. Then what, I asked. The woman called her a Yankee troublemaker and told her if she didn't like the ways of South Carolina to take a fast train back to New York City. Helene just laughed at her until finally the woman walked away, all the while cussing us out. In my mind, I pictured the beautiful girl from New York City in the photograph I'd just stolen. The girl cousin Polly had called Helen with an E and knew then what it was I'd seen in her eyes. It was bravery.